When something cool happens that you do spontaneously, you get high on it a little bit. Like you loosen up and you go, yeah, I'm that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? That totally just happened. It's, it's one of those intangible things that the mic can capture when magic happens. You know, like you can't say what happened, but something just happened. And it was something that you couldn't have practiced for. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. Hello, rock stars. It's Lid Shaw, your host for Recording Studio Rockstars. I created this show to introduce you to real world recording professionals, to hear their stories and learn from their experiences so that you can take your records to the next level and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Mr. Blessing Offer. How you doing, Blessing? I'm good, man. I like your intro. All right. I'm not even done yet. <laughs> oh, shoot. An eclectic musician, songwriter, and producer, born in Nigeria, raised in Connecticut, with cultural and musical influences that span continents, cultures, and decades. Blessing has a life story and a message that he has felt compelled to share through music from a young age. As an artist and songwriter, Blessing has mastered guitar and piano as the tools of composition, but his voice has taken him to studios and stages all over. He has been on the TV show The Voice and appeared at the Kennedy Center on multiple occasions and is also an international songwriting competition winner. I've had the pleasure of working with Blessing in the studio many times. It's a total blast. Blessing has a sharp ear as a singer and producer and uses the tools of the studio in very unique ways, as you will soon learn on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today in Recording Studio Rockstars. Blessing, are you ready to rock, my friend? I am ready to rock. Totally awesome, dude. <laughs> that makes me sound so much cooler than I am. You know, that's what I like to do for people. So I've done a little bit to introduce you, but can you tell us more about who you are and uh, what you do? Ah, uh, who am I? I? I think I just like to communicate and write good songs and hopefully sing them well and uh, make good music. For the most part, really the totality of who I am is just wake up and write something and then come to your studio and record it. And hopefully it sounds good. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. So blessing, you're our first guest on the show holding a guitar during the interview. So yeah, rock stars, if you hear some guitar music in the background, that's because blessing is half expressing himself through words and yes. through, through an instrument in his hands. Exactly. So, um, Blessing, I'd like to start off the show with an inspirational quote, man. Mm. Have you got anything you'd like to share with us? You you actually sent me something <laughs> in a text this morning. Yeah, I, that was I sent good. that and I was like, whoa, that was really good. I should Facebook that. It said, words are powerful. Words put to music are unstoppable. It was it was pre-coffee and pre-anything. I was just like, oh, they're just asking me questions. And I just said it and I was like, whoa. And I should make that a Facebook status. You know, I had somebody wake me up from a nap just yesterday with a phone call. It was partly business, but it's partly related to doing an interview. It actually has to do with an upcoming show. Nice. And I remember noticing that I had an easy time, easier time kind of riffing and answering yeah. questions. Is there something about the morning and the pre-coffee thing that, that you've ever noticed for yourself in creativity? First of all, I'm a, I'm a huge morning person, but it takes like 10 minutes for that to click in. So when I wake up, I go and I play, which is, I don't know, just always the first chord my hand goes to. Uh, and that, to whom it may concern, uh, an 11, F sharp, add 11, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. F sharp minor, add 11. <laughs> That's the first chord you play every That's morning? Literally just... And I start doing like a... 
I don't know. I just kind of, it's like, it gets me going somehow. Like um, literally you start with that chord every morning I, or you just start with whatever you feel I like? I start, lately it's been this chord because I'm writing a song to it that I, that I, it just feels like a strut song. Makes you want to like, just like, yeah, like own something. You know what I mean? Uh, before it was, and before it was, um, um, So before it was like James Taylor. Nice, man. And now it's just like, you know what I mean? So, and then when I write that song, I go to the piano and like, so man, mornings are when I just kind of make stuff. Yeah. Keep talking to us about your morning. So you're up, you have coffee, you grab an instrument and go. Yeah. What, um, I mean, this is a studio show and I know we're headed to the studio and you, you and I have been working in the studio a lot. But I know that also a lot of our listeners are songwriters mm. that are in the studio world. And I am myself. And, you know, like my secret, you know, maybe not so secret anymore, desire and drive is to be writing more and recording more of yeah. my own music. That's awesome, um, man. So talk to us more about your process of making sure that you're writing music and that you're moving forward and that it, you know, like how do you deal with progressing with your songs rather than just always sketching and noodling? So I'm out here in Nashville, obviously doing some writing and publishing. And I I grew up on jazz. I grew up kind of playing sax, alto saxophone in, in Connecticut in jazz bands. And I went to an arts magnet school. One of my teachers said, you know, there's writing because you're inspired and there's writing because it's a practice and a habit. And he goes, your goal is to make sure that your writing, your writing as a practice becomes as good as your inspired writing. He says, every day, just write something. Even if it's not, a grade material or whatever, just every day write something. So I was like, wow. So if I could write something on a daily basis, eventually the things that I write out of mechanics and practice will become no different and as good as the things I write when I'm inspired. And so every day, even if it's just like a lyric or a melody, I just make a point to write something, you know what I mean? Just okay. write anything. So that's interesting. So the idea is through repetition of practice, yeah. you're bringing those moments of inspiration right. and the moments that are just pushing forward and working yeah. closer and closer until they become indistinguishable. Exactly. And really, even when you're inspired, there's a point where you're inspired, but then there's a point where discipline has to bring that inspiration through a process because you know, you don't just get inspired and then bleh, vomit genius. Like you get inspired and then you, that inspiration goes through your own abilities. And so if you practice that mechanics, like the ability to know, oh, this is, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. One, five over seven, or five over seven, six minor seven, exactly. You know, like five of five and blah, blah, blah. That way you, when that inspiration hits, you don't always, you don't also have to practice the mechanics or the theory, you can also go, okay, great. I'm inspired and my hands and my ears know where I'm going. So like inspiration meets opportunity meets practice meets all of those things, I think. And that was a really good lesson for me as a kid. So all that to say, those are my mornings. <laughs> yeah. So um, you bring up something kind of cool that I love about Nashville too. Yeah. The way that you can refer to the chords with numbers, the yeah. Nashville numbers Number system. system. You know, and of course it's part of, it's always been part of music mm -hmm. um, traditionally too, but so two thoughts. One is when you're working on stuff, you may be working on a project and you, you come to an impasse in yeah. a song, right? Yeah. You know, a, an arrangement, something you're hitting the studio mm -hmm. and, and it needs something there. 
and you might not find yourself feeling anything that's inspired or right. inspiration. Right. But because you've been studying those chord progressions right. and you know what puts together a song, right. you hit that 5-7 and you might know that here's some of the options right. that tend to work. And here, you want a place here's, to the, go. here's the, my bag of tricks. I can always try this guy or try, you know, when I'm doing five over seven, I know I can go to, oh, I don't know, I can go to the six you know, minor seven or just the regular six or five over seven to four is always cool. That's a cool sound. Or- Dude, here's something that's funny, right? Yeah. So if I was the listener on this podcast, I'd hear that right now. Yeah. You next thing I'd, I might even pause it. I'd be yeah. grabbing my then guitar and trying yeah. that five over seven to go to six. Five over seven to, the four. to four, you know, and then maybe, I don't know, or five over seven, six, that, or that's the classic. You know, those are just your ear says, oh, I remember doing blank. And even when I listen to really great records, I stop and go, what did he just do there? And it might be something I already knew, but for some reason, maybe the voicing was different. The leading tone was different. It's just your ear and your brain just gets to love sounds. And I mean, I know I have a a voicing that I like for almost every chord and I have to oftentimes break myself out of it just to find new sounds. Yeah, man, when listening to you talk, I'm having so many questions pop up. (laughs) So I want to rewind a little bit and ask you one for something you said a moment ago, Mm -hmm. which is talking about your process Mm -hmm. and, you know, you just make time and you're going and do it. Now, when you're making time and you are writing, are you always goal oriented in your Mm. writing or do you just write during that time? And is that part of the process? So I feel like I'm always aiming for a song. I, I'm also like a voracious reader like and consumer of news and articles. And I love poetry and, and like I love lyrics. I'm always interested to see how different writers put the, the, the English language together. Um, so oftentimes when I read something, I go, whoa, that's a cool way to use that word. And I'll just keep that in my memory bank or put it on my little audio recorder and say, you know, remember this, blah, blah, blah. So I have a bunch of pieces that just sit around. And I had a song, that little riff I played. I was like, whoa, that's a really nice sound. And so I had some words that I put there and then it was like, it turned into do, 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 do. You know what I'm so it's just like all the pieces will eventually line up to wherever they need to be. But when I practice, when I practice the instrument, my fingers will inevitably run across something that I go, that's cool. So I'll put that somewhere. And through the course of my day, my, you know, exposing myself to words will inevitably bring me to something I like. So I'll put that somewhere. And eventually they just all line up. So goal oriented, yes, in that I'm always trying to write a song, but the pieces all come together in so many different ways. I just try to open myself to words and music as often as possible. Now, what about when you're noodling around, you're playing that bit Mm -hmm. and then you just kind of, you get to that moment. 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, yeah. whatever it is where you're kind of getting a little bit sick of it. Yeah. Do you allow yourself to just sort of put it down, Absolutely. do something else, or do you have to push yeah. through those? No, no, no. Like, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in not being a doctrinaire or dogmatic about well, things. Like, like doctrinaire. Yeah, doctrinaire. So, like, I mean, there's a time to push, but there's, there's also, you know, there's something to be said for not being so stuck to ideas. Like, when I'm co-writing, or when I'm writing by myself and we just know something's not going to work, I'm I'm like, listen, let's leave it alone. Clearly, we've beat it to death. It's not happening. And I think sometimes when I was younger, I used to 
be stuck on ideas. I'm like, I have to make this work. And sometimes it's not time for that idea yet. You know, so I'm, I just, whatever the mood needs for that moment I'm in. All right. So here's the next question. You mentioned something a moment ago where mm-hmm. you're talking about taking notes and you said my little voice recorder. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little <laughs> bit about why you use a voice recorder and what that means? Lidge is alluding to the fact that I'm blind. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> He's being PC and not saying blessing. Tell us why, how you became blind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, man, it's been, it's been so cool working with you in the studio and, and watching the way that you interact with the studio. Mm. Uh, and also trying to understand, you know, you use words like I read, I saw this mm-hmm. word, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm fascinated by understanding <laughs> what your perspective of mm. this spa- same space that I'm mm. in with you making the same records. So, you know, the so I was born with congenital glaucoma as a kid. I had vision like really usable, great vision till I was about 10. So unfortunate well not unfortunately but like the world for me is as visual as it is for you so it's kind of like i read i saw i did you know also i always tell people like for instance when you're watching tv it's not just a visual experience there's also an auditory aspect if someone turned off the sound to a tv you'd be like hey what happened there you know what i mean so the process of visual experience oftentimes includes an auditory component that i think most people don't realize so yeah, I mean, if you if you want to say C, go for it. Like, I don't think C is limited to a visual understanding, though I think that's a mistake most people make. Well, so tell us a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm maybe a little bit of a geek factor here for Be me a too. Geek, but man, I'm, a geek. I'm sort of fascinated by the way that you interact with the tools of the studio. Mm. I mean, the studio has changed too, right? I mean, maybe when Stevie Wonder was operating his studio, it was a lot more buttons and knobs. And now- It's always about Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Like, dude, really? (laughs) That was my limited scope of references there. (laughs) You know, poor Ronnie Millsap never gets any credit for anything, does he? Wait, I'm sorry. I just talked over you. Who who are you referencing? I said, poor Ronnie Millsap. Like, he's blind too. Like, there's- he never gets anything. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. All right, well, so but like there's so much computer interfaces yeah. and stuff. How do you interact with that stuff? So Apple, props to Apple, Steve Jobs. There's something on all Apple, you know, devices called voiceover and it just makes the stuff talk. So my iPhone just if you go into settings, accessibility and turn on voiceover, your phone will just start talking and Lidge has heard it talking and I think you, you've heard it right it's a trip dude. yeah it <laughs> it's like blah, 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 it talks super fast and people go how do you understand that and I always say well you don't read at eight words per minute so like even when you're reading you're speed reading to the best of your ability so when I'm listening I don't want to hear something talk like that you know what I mean because my ears going oh god come on get on so yeah so voiceover is awesome with the iphone garage band all that stuff i'm i'm um thoroughly well versed in all of it man they're all becoming more and more accessible by the minute so i mean so it's, no shit you can use garage band on yeah, your iphone yeah 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 that's Most definitely. Tr- that's wild, man. Yeah, man. How often do you compose in your phone using Google? I like rarely ever do it because <laughs> I'm I'm such an instrumentalist. I mean, I have a really great apartment in Nashville and it's got a perfect room to build a little studio in. And I just go, man, the time it would take me to learn every single piece of gear, I could be writing eight more songs on a piano. So I'm just, I think I'm one of those guys that just knows what he does. 
if I did that, I wouldn't get to hang out with you. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm going to record myself, Lynch. Well, fair enough. But this is a recording show. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I know you record. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Talk Most to us definitely. about your process. I mean, you know, you it's not like you're not using the studio. You oh, are yeah. using the studio. You yeah. use it from as a producer. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and you interact with other people in the studio. And I get geniuses like you to make me sound better than I am. Right on, man. Thank exactly. you. Appreciate that, <laughs> well, tell us about your process of taking a song from concept to mm. album. So for me, I think I had to learn to differentiate between playing live and what I want someone's experience to be when they put on a record. And, you know, recording something in a studio is like a way different palette or a way different genre even than playing something live because I could play something live for you right now and you'd hear, you know, things in the background and that'd be part of the live performance. It's kind of like, it's why we're all so disappointed when we hear someone singing to a track because they're not taking that risk of doing it live right in front of us. You know, we all love when a dude, when Paul McCartney sits with his guitar and you know he's singing and maybe his voice cracks a little bit. You're like, yeah. You know, on a record, you want to capture something like eternal somehow. It's not to say that imperfections aren't part of capturing something eternal, but it's like, it's almost like taking a picture. We want to pose for pictures, you know what I mean? Whereas taking a live video, you're just being silly and goofy and doing stuff. So I think that's kind of the thing in my mind when we're recording is I want to pose and make this the best moment that it can possibly be, you know? Yeah, it's almost like you're meeting of inspiration and work again. Exactly. The inspiration is the live moment that right. just happens to happen. Yes. And the work is posing for that photo exactly, a little bit. Exactly, man. It's well well put. <laughs> you don't follow your lead here. <laughs> but, you know, like it's it's all different processes. Like the first song we recorded here, we came, it was preaching, and it was like super slow. We were like, we were like, right? It was yeah. that. And eventually it became... But it's kind of the process of playing and listening back and playing and listening back and going, okay, that has to be that. And it's just posing for the picture. It's a different kind of thing, you know? All right. So then what, what, you know, what happens next when you're in the studio, what's your experience? What do you do? As a, as a producer, when I'm, when I'm working with people, what I'm trying to do when I hear an artist sing, I say to myself, is that emotionally believable? And I learned this just a few weeks ago, actually. Every line has to be like an actor delivering a, a moment to me. So if a girl's saying, I love you just the way you are, and she sings it like, I love you just, I love you just the way you are, or whatever. And I'm like, mm, it sounds too happy, or it sounds too sad, or there's just always something in it that you go, that's not, there's, it's not believable yet. And then I go, okay, think you're sad, like your boyfriend just left you, and like, give the singer a moment in their head to, to draw from. I always liken it to acting, you know? Every line of any song anybody records and sings has to be emotionally legitimate to me. And I think that's kind of what I'm starting to learn to do with people, mm -hmm. you know? Just bring out the emotion. The, yeah, the, the yeah. Like, let me feel, like, almost to the point where if you didn't say the words, I'd still know what you were talking about with your voice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about recording technique in the studio yeah, too. Yeah. Cause you know, you play acoustic and hmm. sing, you play piano. What are some things that you tend to hear repeatedly as far as how that goes? Like how do you, what, what are things that when you record an acoustic and a voice are important to consider? I am a huge fan of everything James Taylor. And 
there's something that's just for me has to be super raw about an acoustic guitar you know like like even the squeaks i love the i love the squeaks of an like all the you know you can hear me brushing my hands across the strings and when you hear james taylor's records i mean if you listen you can hear the finger picking like all these little yeah, tiny things yeah. and oh those things for me are gold um so when I'm recording acoustic, I always like to make sure those things come through and that they're not taken out in post because I think they make the moment. They kind of give you a little bit of that live feel. Yeah. And for a piano, I love when a piano is mic'd so that the low notes growl. You know what I mean? So when, I, when I'm ending a song or I'm in the middle of a song and I really want to make a moment come out and I hit a low octave, it goes like you, you feel like something just attacked your ear a little bit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the best, like it's just gotta be that growl in there, you know? Do you so, have any favorite miking techniques or ways to record the piano? This one time, I think it was in New York and this is, it's not even about the piano necessarily, but a guy put a mic over the keys where my fingers were. Where obviously where my fingers were playing. And he goes, I want to hear your fingers hitting the keys. And uh, for some reason, that really just struck me as really cool. Because, you know, it wasn't like it was super noticeable in the track, but it was so that he put it in there and you could, it was, it made it more real when you listened. Like you could hear the sound of an arpeggio, but not just the notes, but like the finger running up and down the board. Um, and I love the, it, it sounds kind of annoying, I bet, but I love this. Like when you hear the footwork, the pedal. Yeah. Some of my favorite sounds, believe it or not. Yeah. When I recorded Roscoe Gordon, who nice. was a famous Memphis jump blues player, yeah. he played so powerfully on the piano, you would hear his fingernails and his fingers <sighs> hitting the keys without even miking it up. I think know? that's awesome. And I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, whoa, what mm. is that? You know, and I realized it was. That was the fingers on the piano keys. Yeah, man. Yeah, that that guy specifically mic'd the piano just like with a little overhead and like you could hear, you know, the fingers just doing whatever they do. And and I feel like you just want to feel as connected to the performance as possible, you know, and everything that makes that happen is awesome. Okay, so what are some of the things that make that happen? What about the voice? What about singing and playing an instrument at the <laughs> same time? What are the what are the challenges to doing that? I think the challenge is, for me, the challenge can be over-practicing, actually, because kind of the, the thought process, of, or for me, the thought of practicing is more that you practice so that your body knows what to fall back on. You know what I mean? Like you practice so that when you're in a pinch, your body falls back on old habits. And so the old habits should be good habits. But there's something about live performing and live recording that should be almost like spontaneous in a way. So... I think the hard part is I want to come in the studio and knock it out. And so sometimes I get stuck on like a riff I did. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that riff. And it kind of gets my brain in the wrong place because I'm trying to not bring the moment in anymore. I'm trying to like create a moment, then bring it in. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's, yeah. there's something to be said for over-practicing and not letting you know, your emotions in the moment carry the session. Well, what's cool about that, hearing you say that is, I think about the times, I've been listening to a lot of jazz, mm -hmm. uh, you know, over Christmas and holidays and stuff. And some of my favorite moments are those times where it's almost like rather than hearing somebody play a part that mm -hmm. they've rehearsed mm -hmm. and they've already thought, of, thought about, yeah. you know, that was cool when yeah. it first happened. Exactly. When you hear somebody invent something for the first time in a recording, 
Yeah. That's like that moment, right? That moment of creativity and inspiration. Yeah, because you almost feel them get excited about it. Yeah. You know, you, you like something just happened and and when something cool happens that you do spontaneously, you get high on it a little bit. Like you, you loosen up and you go, yeah, I'm that, yeah, I'm that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? That totally just happened. And uh, I feel like that it's, it's one of those innate things, uh, intangible things that the mic can capture when magic happens. You know, like you can't say what happened, but something just happened. And it was something that you couldn't have practiced for. You just had to have practiced and, and opened yourself to it, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, so let me, I'm going to keep grilling you on recording away, voice and guitar, awesome. voice and piano. Cause I know for me as engineering stuff, one of the struggles sometimes is like, well, how am I going to get a mic on the voice? So the mm -hmm. voice sounds great. And a mic on the guitar. So the guitar sounds great. What kind of stuff have you heard that doesn't sound so good <laughs> when you're recording voice and guitar at the same time? Man, I, not, not performance, but yeah. like technique. Just, I, I think you can always overdo things and a lot of pop um, that I hear that tries to be super acoustic, you know, you can tell has been done just like the grease isn't there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you can like the guitar is too clean or like it, they sound like separate things almost just kind of put on top of each other. And for me, maybe I'm just a purist, but I, I don't gravitate towards that stuff. It might be a cool moment of pop music, but it, it loses legitimacy somehow because I'm like, ugh, someone sang and then someone played and then someone stuck it together as opposed to, wow, someone's doing that right now and it sounds awesome, you know? You're saying that you can get something great if you're playing the acoustic and singing at the same time. Yeah, to each his own, obviously. Um, but just for me personally, I think the beauty of it is the dualism. Like having a guy that's going, you know, doing all this... And then still like singing and talking to you while he's doing this. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Right, because you make you your your guitar and your voice are interacting they're with dancing. each other in a way that doesn't yeah. happen when they're separated. Yeah, they're just they're just they're working together and it's amazing. I like it. I, now what about um just literally miking mm -hmm. it up? Do you like the sound of a of mic on your voice and a separate mic on the guitar? Do you prefer when one mic captures both at the same time? I, I think personally, I like when one captures both at the same time, only because I feel like it's, it's that act, like that little extra bit of like, all right, man, game on, because you can't separate these. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're, you're either going to do it or you're not, you know what I mean? Um, but it sounds amazing when a mic is like, you have the, the headphones on and you can hear the individual finger movements, you know, like yeah. all that stuff. And that really only happens when you have a mic on the guitar and, and a mic for the voice. Um, how often are you, gra are you placing the mic yourself? It's sort of, I mean, you are with the voice cause yeah. you're usually getting up close Absolutely. to the mic and you um, trust in your ear. And if, stuff. if I'm working with a, with a guy that says blessing, trust me, this is how it goes. I say, okay. You know what I mean? But if I, if I have an option, I definitely, I like my, my mic right on the sound hole here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you get more of a boomy quality. Yeah. You yeah, hear yeah. More low I right? love that. But you know, like I try not to be that guy that's like, no, that's cool like this. You know, like yeah. the, the engineer knows what he's doing and if that's how he wants it, then let's do it. Yeah. Um, what about, let's talk about headphones. Cause yeah. sometimes I notice there's a big difference between how loud you might think something should be in the yeah. control room versus if you put headphones on and play an instrument, you're like, whoa, whoa. I need a whole lot more of this or yeah, that. Yeah, talk, talk about that a little. I actually really like things quiet. Um, 
I tend to like things way quiet because I like my ears to not be lazy and I like them to work for the different sounds. And I know when I'm recording, say, guitar or piano, I like the instrument I'm recording to be a little louder than everything else. But for the most part, I, I just try to keep it really quiet because then you don't feel like you have to overplay. Because if it's like, if the track is cranked up and then you're cranked up, you just, I don't know. I think that that's kind of the wrong impression. Whereas if everything is relatively normal sounding, you might be able to get a little more nuance in it. Okay, you mean mm -hmm. like if things in your headphones seem similar to the way they sound when you're just simply playing the when, instrument, singing um, in the room, yeah. then it's then it doesn't make you like lose your bearings. Right, then you're playing naturally Yeah. versus, you know, you're playing and everything's cranked up. You almost feel this impulse, you know, the, the adrenaline gets going. You're like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. You know, yeah. unless that's the vibe you want, in which case, awesome. Yeah. So, or right, well, help us out. So yeah. what are some indications for somebody who's engineering from the control room? Mm -hmm. If the singer is doing this, then that might be a sign that the headphones are too loud or too if, quiet. I think if, if your singer is over, over singing and you can tell that their voice is getting tired speaking from experience, it means that they think they have to sing over the giant loud track in their ear. Man, if you if you try to over sing, you can't you can't overpower a track. It's it it can go forever. You cannot. So, I think part of the reason I like things really low is because it really gives me the sense of oh, I don't have to sing loud at all. I have a microphone here, and the microphone's doing the projecting for me. And like, um, if you listen to Marvin Gaye, all the soloed Marvin Gaye tracks, he's singing actually pretty quietly. Uh, and it's not that he's going. I've been freely trying, baby. You know, it's like, he's not yelling that stuff. He's almost talking it. But the mic and the track are, are, are laid behind him perfectly. So you just get the beautiful sense of what he's saying. And that was like a, a moment for me when I, when I heard those. And I was like, whoa, I don't have to blow out my voice for every note, you know? So as yeah. a singer, that, that changed my life. Well, so what are some things that you ask for from an engineer as the singer Mm -hmm. to make sure that it sounds right in the phone so that you can sing the way you want. I like, like I said, so headphones as low as possible. My vocal louder than the track. I sing dry personally, like no reverb, because I, I figure if it sounds good dry, it's only going to get better once you throw the nice stuff on it. So I like just totally no effect on the vocals. Um, and honestly, I just like to do take after take after take. I think when we do it, actually, we, we start with a just total rundown of the track and then we go punch spots that we need to punch. So I try to be as strategic as possible. You know, I, I do I ask for a lot, Lidge? No, no, no. <laughs> I just try to be smart about how, how we use it. And the thing is, you'll start singing and the voice isn't warm yet, for me at least, and I think for a lot of singers. And then you'll get to a sweet spot in the voice. And then once you're in that sweet spot, you want to catch everything right in that spot because the voice when it's not warm is not the voice when it's warm. Kind of like a guitar amp, yeah. a tube amp, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, new strings on a guitar, you have to wait a day or two for the strings to settle, just like the voice. So like the first few takes will sound like a voice that's not warmed up. But man, once once the voice gets there, phew, I mean, hit record.
Yeah. Do you, do you hear that, rock stars? Don't <laughs> string your guitar just before the session. String your guitar two days before the session, and then it's going to sound great on the session. It's going to sound great. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. So, Blessing, you know, you talked about that major life change at 10 years old, mm-hmm. and that certainly may have felt like an important failure point along your journey. But tell us, share us one that, you know, may have been in your recording you know, in the studio, it was an important uh, failure for you. In I'm going to tell you guys career. a really funny story. So this person, I mean, okay. So I was really arrogant as a kid. Just, I thought I was the best thing in the world. I was like, man, own this piano. You still do, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was like, I, I own this, I'm, you know. And so that took me through me meeting this guy who's just such a beast on the piano. He just totally schooled me. And for a while, I was just mad at him. You know, I was like, I don't like him. And, um, and it, was, it was at a point where I was like, man, I, I really might want to just like hang out with him. He seems pretty nice. Maybe I'll just ask him how he did that lick he did. And he was the nicest guy in the world and taught me a ton, taught me new chords, taught me every, you know what I mean? So my huge lesson that I learned is always hang out with people better than you and never, ever be the best one in the room. Because if you're the best one in the room, then you're not really growing. Instead, be the, be the least talented in your group or in the room, because then every minute you're there, you're just getting better and better and better. That takes a ton of humility and it, it hurts for a minute, but it's really great. You know? And it's because sometimes it feels scary, like you said, to be around people who are, who you probably do know are better than yeah. you. Because you might um, see yourself as being yeah. less valuable somehow right. because you're not as good as all these other people. When in fact, it's this great opportunity to learn and take yeah. your whatever you're working on to the next level. And better better is at, at some point, I mean, there's, there's a point where, you know, better is not even quantifiable anymore. Like we all know the same scales. We all know the same chords. We all have the same material to work with. And even if someone, you know, runs a scale faster than you. There's something you do that they don't do. And um, I think that's kind of the thing also that I learned is to find what my thing is. And my thing was not being the coolest jazz piano player in the world. My thing was singing and writing songs. So really this guy that I was like, oh, he's so much better than me. We, you know, like the competition wasn't even what I thought it was because I, I'm not a jazz piano player. Um, I can fake one really well, but you know, like it, he was doing his thing. I was doing my thing and there wasn't even actually a competition. I, in my head there was, which is the silly part. So oftentimes it's just a matter of figuring out that really we're all just on our own journeys. You know, like I'm trying to be the best version of me that I can, because that's really all I can do. And so it helps you not be threatened by other people's awesomeness because, you know, we all have our own version of it, you know? Yeah. That's good advice. Well, so now tell us a story about a moment of real success for you, something that felt like a real hit moment. Mm, okay. A hit moment. I remember writing this song called Suitcase. And I wrote with a woman in Nashville named Rachel Thibodeau. Rachel's done tons of big stuff. You know, she wrote, I think Good Directions for Billy Currington was like her breakout. Um, And she's been like songwriter of the year and so on and so forth. And writing with her was super nerve wracking because I was like, oh, my God, she's she's doing it. And I didn't have like a pub deal then. And I was like, oh, my God, she's doing it. She's like, she's going to think I'm terrible. You know what I mean? And we got in the room and she goes, 
oh my God, this is so great. This is going to be a great song. And I was waiting for her to be like, so, you know, here's how you need to improve, <laughs> you know? And she didn't say any of that. She goes, oh, let's write again. And I was like, whoa. And so two things happened. I felt like the validation. I was like, yeah, like a real Nashville songwriter thinks I'm a Nashville songwriter. <laughs> That's pretty great. And That's then cool. I felt the pressure of being a Nashville songwriter because I was like, oh, crap. Now I'm a Nashville <laughs> songwriter. And I, now I have to get a cut. You know what I mean? And it was like, I learned two things. A, we're never satisfied. Like dissatisfaction is the human heart's state of being for the 99.9% .9 of all our lives, no matter what we have. So it's like, you want one goal. Once you get that goal, there's always some other goal. So I was like, okay, so there's really, you never stop wanting the next thing. And so that was a good lesson for me. Cause I was like, okay, I really have to take a moment, be grateful and then work hard. And that's okay. Yeah. And then, and then the next thing that I learned was like, these guys write six songs a day, you know? So wow. it's a numbers game. Because as soon as her and I finished, she had another two rights to go to that day. Wow. And that blew my mind. So I was like, okay, switch to high gear, you know? And it sounds fun and it's, it is fun, but it's also work. Songwriting, it's work. Like, yeah. it's the, you know, I think Rachel told me she had written something like seven, eight hundred songs before she got that one cut. So, it, I mean, there's just a lot of humble learning that goes into it. You know? Yeah. Well, so talk also about the process of recording, mm -hmm. you know, maybe with all those songs, maybe you're not making album versions <laughs> of every single one, but you're, you're doing demo recordings of them. You should see my voice memo app on my phone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. How do you know when you're, uh, when you're working on a recording or a demo or a, an album that you're kind of done? With I think it's, track? it's like the intention behind the recording. Like if I'm here with you, and the professional stuff's around, then I'm definitely thinking a little more than a demo. If I'm in my living room wanting to get the song sketched out, then I'm thinking, okay, let me hit record on voice memo, you know? So I, I have usually two gears that I go into is demoing on voice memo or I'm in a studio. And even if this isn't my record, I'm going to cut this like it's the record, you know, because you want the demo to be as as finished as possible so that the potential artist can hear it and hear its finished potential, not just a guy thinking he's just demoing a song. So he's being lazy about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So now when you're doing the demo process and you're writing, seems like there's moment for magic to happen because you, because everything at that point is invention, right? Yeah. You're creating something for the first time. Absolutely. What are the risks of going into the studio and making an album version switching from demo mentality to album mentality and how do you balance those how do you make sure that you don't lose something that was brilliant already mm. while you gain something new in the studio making a, a finished record mm. i think I, for me i i just always have to keep in mind like the core of the song so when i demo a song or when i just finish a song and i put it down that's kind of a reference i always go back to because i feel like that's the song in its purest intended form like when you just finish the song and you put it down and it's super fresh and it's still like wet clay a little bit. So you could still mold it, but that's how you set it, you know? And then as you move on through the demo, the, the professional demo and the master process, you can go back and say, are we still on the right track or did we just go on a whole new path? And you can kind of self-correct as you go, because maybe how you set it after you wrote it isn't how it's going to end up. And that's okay too. Um, or you go, you know what? 
how we're recording this is not at all how I meant it to be recorded, judging by, you know, the 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 instant finished version that I did on my iPhone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you always have to have a point of reference for your, at least I do, for myself to say, okay, this is how I remember finishing the song. Am I okay with where it's going or do I need to adjust a little bit? And so do you have a process of while you're working on the master kind of spot checking back against the the demo? And then is there ever this moment where you listen to one, you compare and you're like, oh, cool. This is, <laughs> I'm on the right path now. It's good. I can let go of that. Old yeah. Way. I mean, there's, I always have, have that, that reference either in my head or, you know, sometimes a song just comes alive of its own and you don't even have to wonder where it's going because it's that good, that powerful of a moment. And you go, you know, I, I, I'm in this and this is how it's going to go. And I, I just always, it's going to sound wishy-washy, but I try not to have like one rule, you know, I try to go, does this feel legitimate to me? Does this feel right? And if the answer is yes, then I just go with it. Yeah. What about, um, you're working on the master and you, you keep trying to take it to a new place and make it better. When do you decide that this is not working? Or when do you decide, you know what, let's just forget about this and move on to something else completely? That's, you know what, that's really hard because would you rather put out something or, you know, put it out to put it out or put it out because it's done or hold on to it till it's perfect? You know what I mean? I'm of the school of thought that if it doesn't feel good, then just wait on it, you know, because you're gonna have to live with that forever, you know, like putting out a record that you're not going to stand behind a hundred percent is going to be the worst feeling of your life. So if in doubt, just, you know, never hurts. Do you find that the moment that you're finishing the record, if you feel inspired that you're feeling it, Mm -hmm. that, that you trust that moment more, or do you find that you need to wait a minute and listen to it later (laughs) and then feel it then? And you trust that, that moment more. I think that anything sounds good on giant studio speakers. (laughs) anything will we work hard to make that yeah (laughs) so i always listen through crappy speakers uh and i always wait a week you know what i mean like just cleanse the palate let it all leave your brain for a minute and then just out of nowhere maybe wait while i'm making a pancake or something i'm just i'm like oh let me listen to this again and then if it still makes me smile then we're doing it you know like that's kind of the thing is like if you're listening to it in that moment then you're still in that moment but all your potential listeners have never been in that moment with you. So they're just going, I don't like it. <laughs> and you yeah. go, what? Didn't you hear the blah, blah, blah? And they're like, meh, I don't like it. <laughs> and you're just, you're mad at them, but you, you were too caught up in your moment, you know? Yeah. What do you think is the number one thing that people respond to, uh, to decide whether they like it or don't like it? It's going to sound weird, but I think because we have such a shorter attention span in our culture, <laughs> like totally aside, I was I was listening to, I mean, some 80s song or even like Thriller. Thriller had like a minute long intro. You don't get the hook till like a minute and a half in, if even. And that like dawned on me. And I was like, man, if you don't have a hook within 30 seconds now, you're done. Like essentially now every pop songs go like this. Hook one, hook two, hook three, hook one, hook two, hook three. Hook four is the bridge. You know what I mean? Like it all has to be hooks. So if something doesn't catch them in the first 30 seconds, I don't even know what that something is. Be it a musical hook they like, a lyrical, a melodic hook. You just have to hook people ASAP as soon as possible because they may give you 10 seconds. That used to upset me. And then my friend said to me, you know, Blessing, 
you got to get in the car first before you can drive anyone anywhere. And then I thought, well, me driving is a terrible idea, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> you're right, Lynch. Yeah, you good, like man. that one? I'm good. That's going on the front of the podcast. Yeah. You guys will know that I said that and you'll have already heard it by this point. Um, so, you know, but the point was like, you have to meet people where they are, you know, give them what they already are familiar with before you can take them somewhere different. That's kind of been my my North Star with writing is like, okay, I have to earn the right to take people somewhere new. So that's fascinating. So if you're writing for pop radio, mm -hmm. then the car is, is what's what people already are familiar with exactly. in pop radio. You exactly. Know? If my daughter's a big Katy Perry fan, mm -hmm. then then that means you know you start with something that feels Baby, familiar to, to Katy Perry yeah. <laughs> before you take them somewhere new. Exactly. Right? So you meet them where they are with a little twist, and then they go, "Oh, this guy's pretty cool." And but that you, also applies to the opposite end of the spectrum. Absolutely. So if you're writing indie garage rock, mm -hmm. you know, or EDM music, yep. Meet them where it's they are. Good, whatever those rules are. Exactly. You know, maybe maybe those rules are you have to have a minute and a half intro before mm -hmm. the hook comes in or else people exactly. won't like it. And like, you know, because I write with a lot of artists and whatever artist I'm writing with, I go listen to their genre and just steep myself in it. Because, you know, I write country and everything and I luckily love everything so I don't have to fake it. But like if I'm writing with someone who's super like indie pop and like Lord-esque, I go listen to a ton of that stuff Yeah, and really go, okay – the rules are as follows, very beat driven, um, very, very like lyric driven. You don't sacrifice the lyric for a melody and you just make the lyric hooky. You don't, you know, like what I like about Lord's stuff is like, you can tell she's just, she wants to say this. And instead of fitting those words into a hook, she makes those words the hook, whatever they may be. You know what I mean? So cool. there's a lot of things to learn about different genres of music, which I like as a songwriter. And then when I go to perform, there's a lot of things to learn about performing from great performers, which, you know, just gives you another angle to study from. Right on. Yeah. Well, so, hey, we're going to go into the jam session here in just a sec. Yeah. But before we do, tell us what you're excited about right now. Mm, what am I excited about right now? Man, there's a lot of great projects coming out. We're doing good things in Nashville. I'm really excited. I get to travel a lot. I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements doing a lot of like personal appearances and stuff. So I get to meet a lot of people all over the country and, and it's a lot of fun. Um, is there anything uh, sort of inside the studio that's sort of turning you on right now? Stuff that's processed for making recordings that you sort of is a lot of fun for you. <laughs> I, other than working with me, <laughs> other than, other than Lidge and the coffee we get at Lidge's place. I just got a Nord in my apartment. And I'm really pumped because it's a Nord <laughs> and I yeah. can't wait to record with it. It's got a lot of stuff and I, I haven't played B3 nearly enough. And it's, it's about the best, you know, facsimile that you can get without actually buying a B3. So nice. That's, right, that's, that's, my, a good tip. that's my toy at the moment. That's a good tip. Yeah. Nord All right, cool. endorsement. Let's go. Awesome. We'll, we'll come right back here in a sec with the jam session. Yeah. Hey everybody, it's Lid Shaw, and I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Recording Studio Rockstars. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate your time. And as a way of saying thank you, I've created a special mix tutorial just for you, Rockstars, totally free, called the Mix Master Bundle. With it, you get over two hours of detailed videos watching over my shoulder as I mix a song in my studio. Plus, I give you the free ebook that explains how I recorded the tracks 
and you get downloadable multi-tracks so that you can practice your mixes, including the Pro Tools session file, using nothing but stock plugins in Pro Tools, all of which you would find in any other DAW, whether you're on Logic or Studio One or Reaper. Maybe you're struggling with trying to improve your mix technique, or maybe you just simply don't have access to multi-track files or can't record a full drum set in your studio. I wanted to give you a chance to create your own mixes from full drum kit, bass, and guitars recorded in my studio. The song is called American Winter, and it's off my instrumental record, Skadoosh, and it's all available for you totally free right now. All you need to do to get it is text Mix Master Bundle to 33444, and I'll send it directly to your email. Again, that's Mix Master Bundle with no space to 33444, or you can go directly to mixmasterbundle.com Enter your email, and I'll send all the files directly to you. Thanks so much, rock stars. We'll see you guys in the jam session. Cheers. Well, hey, everybody. This is Lidge, and thanks for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm back here with Blessing Offer, and we're about to jump into the jam session. Blessing, you ready to jam, dude? Maybe. All right, sweet. <laughs> well, so series of quick questions, and mm-hmm. just give us, give us your answers off the top. We can Good elaborate answers. if we want. Let's go. Tell us, when you were starting out and recording and making songs and music, what was holding you back? Uh, I think what was holding me back was making weird faces when I sang. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was when my first voice teacher was like, Blessing, you have to open your mouth. No one looks attractive singing, so stop worrying about looking cute. So I was like, oh, okay. So opening my mouth was really weird for me first because I was like, oh my God, but my mouth is so open. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I did that voice. But so I had to get over that. Like singing does not look cute, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about in the studio? And I mean, uh, you know, might as well ask, you know, mm-hmm. in reference to being blind, what yeah. kind of stuff was holding you back from getting rolling in the studio? Here, there are a lot of people that probably want to do more in the studio yeah. and they've got all their own constructs of obstacles. And, you know, yeah. here you've got a pretty legitimate <laughs> one. <laughs> Fairly legit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I th- for me, I was like, okay, what can I do in the studio? Because I was like, well, if I can't press buttons, then, hmm. you know what I mean? But like a lot of the studio is just knowledge. Like I know what I want. And really all I had to learn was how to communicate what I want to whoever is pressing the button if I'm not pressing the button. You know what I mean? So being in the studio, working in a studio is not just the ability to hit a button on a screen or on a laptop or whatever the case may be. It's also just... The know-how, like, here's what I want. Here's how we're going to get it, you know? Yeah. Well, so now I know that sometimes if you are somebody who's used to sitting in front of the computer and pushing buttons and then you find yourself, you step back, now Mm -hmm. you're producing and you're working with an engineer, communicating and watching them, that other person push (laughs) buttons can be a big challenge. Yeah. What's your version of that? Um, Remember that time we were recording? I was like, let's mark that. (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, okay, but you're like, I was like, all right, let's mark that track. And you're like, listen, you have to tell me to put it on the comp because marking is not a thing. <laughs> so, you're like, so in my head, I feel like I'm saying thing X and I can't just point to the screen and be like, okay, that one. You know what I mean? So it's just establishing a, a constant familiar means of communication with whoever you're working with. You know what I mean? Like you saying blessing, tell me to put it in the comp. And all of a sudden, ah, boom, done. And we yeah, just, yeah. you know, as opposed to me going, Lidge, do this thing that you can't ever do. Right. And then later you'd come back and be like, well, didn't we mark that? 
<laughs> you're like, no, no. Well, so, and I guess maybe the flip side for me is rather than, you know, having an internal frustration or not being willing to even address the fact that you're asking for something that I'm not necessarily doing because right. it didn't fit the way I would do it. You know, being willing to just take a moment and say, yeah. hey, this is, you know, communicate enough to say, hey, this is how I manage yeah, this is how track things of stuff go. and doing it and describing it to you so that you can, but respecting your version of it so that we can like find a meeting place in the middle. Man, you know? half of it is just communication. I think, I think generally, I mean, just with life in general, just, just say something, you know? Just say it. Say, hey, your 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 concept of this might need to change a little bit to meet the real world, <laughs> because there's no such thing as what you're saying. And that's that was awesome. Thanks, man. You know, then we yeah. then we move on and do it right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember noticing at one point in the studio that the communication was the most exhausting part of making a record. Mm. You ever feel that way? Yeah. I mean, and oftentimes it's like just people with really good intentions going about it the wrong way. You know, whether the artist is frustrated, I'm really annoying because when I'm working with an artist, I'm like, is your voice okay? Do you need anything? Blah, 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 blah. Because oftentimes, especially if it's a younger artist, they're not comfortable just stopping something and going, this is wrong. I need this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So communication, artist to producer, producer to engineer, engineer to artist or whatever the case may be, is super critical and crucial. And I think it's just a matter of everybody having a mutual respect for what everybody else does and, and giving them space to do what they do. You know, you know, it's interesting. You described the experienced producer talking more on the talk back to mm -hmm. the inexperienced singer. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen the reverse of that true where you're the experienced singer and the inexperienced <laughs> engineer talks too much. No way. In the talk back, right. Do you <laughs> ever experience that where oh. you're getting too much talk back and, and it's like, Dude, let me. Uh, I just uh, need can to focus I sing, and sing. Yeah. I think when I when I went to Belmont, that used to be a thing. Um, but you always knew who you're working with because, you know, like you get the like. Liz, sometimes you go listening, and and I just get list, and you're already off. <laughs> and I'm like, great, we're on it. You know what I mean? Well, I, and, I blame the button manufacturers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like list, and I know you said listening, and I'm good because we're. We're operating at peak efficiency here. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, so I I'll explain that. That's something that I think I learned that from Brad Jones when I was, when he was my mentor, you know, nice. uh, is the other people who aren't controlling the Pro Tools rig, right. who are just listening, they're out right. in, the, in the mic. They, you know, they're hearing music play. Right. And unless you tell them, they don't know right. if you're expecting them to be in record and start exactly. singing or just sit there and listen back. So <laughs> I learned that trick. Every time you're just listening, say listening. You just press the button, you say listening. Or, you know, another trick I'll do is, well, I don't get to do it with you. Mm. But do you give hand if, cues? Yeah. And if, Terrible. The, uh, you know, the if there's glass yeah. and you can see the control room mm -hmm. to the microphone, I won't even say anything. I'll just point at my ear. Mm, so unfortunately, don't do that with do me. That for you, That's a uh, bad form. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, share with us uh, uh, some of the best advice that you remember receiving. Some of the best advice I remember receiving. If you don't feel it, no one else will. Real simple. Like if you don't feel anything you're doing, be it a a, a, a vocal or a performance if you're not into it, who else is going to be into it? Like, if you can't even sell it to yourself, then... You mean if you're the one performing? Right, if you're the you one performing. Or even listening, you know. What, like, what about mixing? What if you're the one whoa. kind of recording it and mixing it and you, you don't feel it? Well, if Same you're thing. mixing and you don't feel it, then you might want to mix it again <laughs> because you already got the material. <laughs> like, 
if you're not feeling the mix, that's on you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, man. I love it. All right, cool. So now um, share with us a recording tip hack or secret sauce. Mm, okay. This I learned from... Man, you're so good at name dropping. I don't know who taught me this, but the one ear, I think everybody knows the one ear trick. Yeah. Like if you're having a hard time hitting a harmony or or a double, just, you know, lift one ear off because and I was this was explained to me. Your brain, the hearing process, you actually have to hear yourself sometimes as well as hear what you're matching because you have to tune yourself. And I thought, "Oh, that's really interesting." And it it works. Yeah, you yeah. need a you need your own pitch reference. Exactly. Right? So exactly. you're you need to hear your voice naturally exactly. in the room. So if if you're having a hard time catching a double really well, just try the one ear. You know, just right. So the one ear specifically for somebody who's like, what is what does that yeah, mean? Sorry, try the one sorry. ear. <laughs> uh, take one ear. Take one headphone off of one ear, like one side of the headphone off, and only listen with one headphone, one side of the headphone, and then try try the try the harmony and or double or whatever have you. Yeah. I'll take that a step further and I'll say that there are many times where somebody's singing on the microphone and they're listening to the mix and headphones mm -hmm. and the mix is the music, which means that's the pitch reference. And I've seen people have trouble finding the pitch. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they picked up an acoustic guitar and mm -hmm. sang and played, they'd have no trouble at all. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So what, what are some examples of how you manage that in the studio? I mean, maybe you, you may not have those troubles now because you're so familiar with singing on a mic, but when you're producing somebody. I, I mean, luckily for the most part, I can just sing to them <laughs> and be like, you want this note? Blah. You know what I mean? But I always try to, whoever I'm working with, I try to work with them ahead of time, you know, pre-production, so to speak, and just like know what their strengths are because on the fly learning can be really tough. Like if you're asking an artist you're working with, to do something that they don't do well, it could be really like kind of demoralizing, you know, because you're saying do this and they go, I can't. And that's already like a bad place to be for them to like be like, I'm, I'm not good at that. Yeah. So whoever I'm working with, I really I, I try to get with them beforehand and figure out where they feel strongest and then try to communicate to those strengths, you know, versus winging it and kind of making them feel kind of crappy about themselves, you know, yeah. like find the third in that chord. And they're like, what's a third? <laughs> you're like, oh, <laughs> you know. Um, what about also that, that thing that happens when you're out there mm -hmm. and you've just been singing something over and over and <sighs> the simplest, simplest yeah. request from and you're the not control gonna, room. Yeah. And you're and not going to get it. You can't get it. Or mm -hmm. the person just can't remember to yep. the part or the note. Happens to me. I mean, we've experienced that. And for some reason, it's just, it's like a mental block and it could just, just take five, just take yeah. time, get a coffee, get a tea or something. But like the brain sometimes shuts off to something and it's just not going to do it right then. And you can't force yourself. So, you know, never be afraid to be like, you know what, let's take five. It's hot in this recording booth. I'm going to step outside. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I think a reminder too, that when you witness that happening, you're usually witnessing it from the control room, yeah, from exactly. the other side, where it's just you're just chill and yeah. you're relaxed yeah. and you're listening. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, you're like, what is? Yeah, the what, what deal? are you doing over How there? How come you can't sing Happy Birthday? <laughs> Everybody can sing Happy Birthday, you know? Yeah, and as a guy that's been on both sides, producers, please be, and engineers, please be sensitive to the unique pressure of a bunch of people staring at you performing <laughs> in a vocal booth and. You know, if if you're new at it, there's a very um, 
you could easily feel a little bit like a, a fish in a bowl kind of thing. So, you know, if you're, if, if it's not what you do naturally or normally, you know, it could get a little nerve wracking. So go easy on them. Okay. What's the, what do you say to people when you want to suggest that maybe they just need a break? <laughs> I say, you know, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I just put it on my, I just put it on me. <laughs> Good thinking, man. Good yeah. t- that's a great tip. Yeah. yeah, yeah just I, put yeah. it all on yourself as exactly. the producer. It, it, you know, it's, it's just about keeping them in a good place. You're the person you're working with. So if you know they need five and they don't know it, then you need five, you know? Yeah. All right. I know I, I promised quick answers and I turned it into a yeah. long one again, but I can't you. help it, man. I know this is great stuff. <laughs> All right. So share with us a favorite hardware tool for the studio, something physical that you just man, always makes your sessions better. My favorite microphone, Neumann, U87 or 47. Really? Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. You love that as a singer, singing on it. Do you as love that for other people to record with as well? Uh, I mean, if their voice fits it. It just, I mean, maybe I just, when I hear it in my ears, it makes, I'm, I, I'm just like, who is, who's singing? And I'm going, oh, that's me. But it's not me. It's the mic. It's just a beautiful microphone, yeah. you know? But there's nothing like matching a voice to whatever mic it needs, you know? It's magic. Now, what about in at, when you're producing on the other end of the glass? What's what kind of tools do you that find yourself always using? That you I know you. Me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's my favorite. <laughs> I actually built that for you, man. Yeah, exactly. That talkback button. That's. Can you can you describe what it is? So it's this long this long wire that just literally has a button at the end of it, and Lidge is like, "Blessing, here's your talkback button." And I felt like Moses. I was like, "Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I have arrived." That's great. <laughs> yeah. Because the talking and the talk back and managing that for a bunch of people in the control room, that's a major pain in the butt. It's a thing. And especially when I don't know if you're pressing it, I'm like, so here's what you need to do. And then you go, ah, they didn't hear anything you just said. And I dropped some gold. And you're like, they missed all of that. And I'm like, ugh. So built me my own talk back. You know, I don't think people are always aware of it, but the engineer's role of just simply pressing the buttons so that people are talking back Mm -hmm. and forth between the control room and out on the floor of the microphone. Yeah is oftentimes as or more complicated than, you know, the uh, switching engineer for a train yard <laughs> with uh, hundreds of trains coming what and an going. What an analogy. You know? <laughs> or it feels that way. I don't know. It feels that way. All right. So now share with us a favorite software tool for the studio. Mm, I mean, I think for the Mac, as far as voiceover goes, I mean, software tool that makes everything possible, man. Apple's got it pretty much covered. If it wasn't for that voiceover, I, we'd be not even here right now. But Logic is pretty cool. I do a lot there. You do? Yeah. And GarageBand. I mean, just tell, tell me how you use Logic. Well, so you actually have to kind of forget about the, the screen and just think of it like there's a voice essentially telling you what's going on, what you know, sound bank you're in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's just, it's a whole different thing, you know? And last time I did it was actually a while back because I don't have a, a rig set up right now. But, you know, to be up at three in the morning running your own thing is, it's a powerful experience, you know? So you're on a, a laptop or an iMac or something laptop. like that? Yeah, and just then- a, it's a little tiny. It's like, you know, nothing fancy, but little MIDI controller and, you know, yeah, and then you are uh, so you got the keyboard and the laptop. You're using the the trackpad. Yeah, yeah, and, and you which, can which use the talk. voice the voiceover stuff to tell mm-hmm. you exactly what's going on in the right. Yeah. And and so I can the voiceover works whether you're using the keyboard or the trackpad. If you think about it, my iPhone is nothing but a giant trackpad. Yeah, exactly. Um, so whatever your finger or hand is doing, it's it's saying to you. That's a trip. Um, and there there are some. There, it's not as accessible as it could be. 
and there are some uh, adaptations, but for all intents, you know, for the most part, you know, and there's some really great organizations that are working to make things like Logic and Pro Tools even more accessible. So, you know, check that stuff out, man. That's wild, man. That's yeah. really cool. This occurred to me hearing you talk about the high speed voice for the voiceover. So, uh, you know, I can't really do it, but it'll be like, yeah. that's what it sounds like Literally. when I hear you listening Literally. to the voiceover. It's really Literally. fast, you know? But have you ever actually tried to take that same analogy to music? Could you listen to a song play in high speed and be able to absorb it that quickly? Like Alvin, Alvin and the Chipmunks version? Yeah, yeah, like double, like Whoa. 10 times the speed and you just immediately... And can, I go, oh, he said blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you can judge. You're like, yeah, that verse isn't working going to the first, first chorus. Or. No, that sounds really freaky. Because <laughs> you'd have to feel it. I guess that's where it's yeah, at. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be a skill, though. I should practice. All right, so Blessing, now share with us a a favorite resource or a tip for the business side of doing music and producing records? Read a lot of books and talk to a lot of people. I've, I've read, there's a book called the elements of eloquence. (laughs) Sounds really nerdy, but it's literally a book. And I I think the guy was a New York times author. I can't remember his name, but it's called the elements of eloquence. And it talks about poetry and lyrics and it breaks down song lyrics and, you know, goes, okay, they used iambic pentameter here, or they used blah, 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 blah. And this is how this works. And it's really cool. So like, this is the nerd in me, but just, just read stuff, man. It's really great. So that book in particular. So is that related to the business stuff though, or that's just kind of related to the creation? That's related to lyrics. Um, For the business end, I have a lot of friends who are further in the business than I am. And I just pick their brains about everything. I pick their brains about mechanical royalties. I pick their brains about what the music industry is doing right now how to monetize yourself, how, how like streams of income actually are happening with, with streaming being a thing. And, and the thing is like, there's, there's still, it's still a business. And at the end of the day, I think what I've learned is have a great product because, you know, like, no, no one's making the killing they once did in the eighties and nineties, I'm sure. But like, no one's hungry. You know, like yeah. it's like guys that are going from, I used to make $80 million. So I'm only making $10 million. It's like, really, bro? Like, calm down. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not taking any positions on anything in particular. I'm just saying people can still make a living. You just have to be a little smart and protect yourself and, and have a plan. And, you know, I'm learning a lot. So if you guys have any tips for me, let me know. What's one of the things for somebody who's starting out who maybe is also a songwriter that you always advise them to make sure that they do at the beginning that people tend maybe tend to forget about or, or not do right early enough. Ah, listen to a lot of different genres of music for the writing. Just be, be well-versed, be also for the writing aspect, be able to take criticism and be able to work with other people. And for the business end, keep track of when you wrote a song, who you wrote it with, just always, always know because you don't want to get into that position where it becomes a question and you don't have the split sheet or you, you know, you don't have the initial recording and what date it was. And, you know, it's just bookkeeping until you are cool enough to have lawyers do that for you. What are your favorite tools for keeping track of that stuff right now? Uh, I keep it on my digital audio recorder. You write it down on a piece of paper? I write pencil? it down with a, with a fountain <laughs> pen, actually, <laughs> with like Harry Potter style with like a quill, <laughs> permanent marker. Um, <laughs> So no, keep, keep track, you know, on a laptop, whatever have you just say, okay, this was written. Actually, when I start writing a song with someone, I just open it with going, this is me and -and so-and-so on this date and we're writing blah, blah, blah. 
you know, it sounds neurotic, but it's just, it's all kinds of helpful. And you use the notes app on your phone for mm-hmm. recording. An I idea. use the notes app to do the fi- the final, like at the end of the right, when we're hopefully finished with the song, we do that demo right there of it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you use something else. Do you have another tool that you use for, for I your audio notes? I have this thing called an Olympus. And there are other, you know, versions of the same thing, but it's like, it's literally this little handheld rectangular uh, digital audio recorder. It fits in my pocket. And that's where like people have notebooks full of ideas. I have like about 10 Olympuses full of ideas and there's one in my pocket right now. Yeah. Those are my notebooks. And then when I have a write, as we're writing verses and choruses, I put it all on the Olympus. And then when we're done, I put the final demo on my voice memo on my iPhone. So that's interesting. So you find the Olympus, is, is it just a faster process for yeah, capturing it's faster. an idea? Like I don't have to unlock the phone and pull up the voice memo. I mean, everybody loves voice memo app, but I just, I love the convenience of having a, a thing in my hand. Yeah. You know, just, you just hit record and it goes beep and you're recording. No I think fuss. that's really important. I think yeah. ideas escape. Oh they, my They do God. for me, for my, my oh, brain. Oh yeah. Ideas escape me faster than technology can let yeah. me unlock my phone and I mean, get in there. I can hit record faster than you can pull up the voice memo app. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's, I just needed something that quick. What's the, what, do you know what the model of that little Olympus is? Does it even matter? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It's called an Olympus here. All right. Let's see. It says Olympus uh, Digital Voice Recorders mm-hmm. DM520, I think yep. it is. So cool. And that's yeah. not even the latest version. It's just. Yeah. But we'll put some links in the show notes yeah. to this too. That's cool. And I, I mean, I have about 10 of those. And they're all in different versions of being full and actually have a laptop where I can back, there's a USB input and I can actually dump the hard drive from there onto a laptop because if I lost one of those, it would be like losing my notebook. Yeah, exactly. And that'd be awful. Except with this, in this case, you don't have to buy a new notebook and one of those leather bound ones every time. (laughs) Exactly. All right, cool. So then uh, next up, this is sort of a metaphysical question that I like, or no, excuse me. This is a hypothetical question. Okay. Very different. So, um, if you had to uh, start all over and you were sort of dropped into a new city and you, mm. you didn't know anybody there and everything, uh, and you wanted to record, write, record, make records, mm-hmm. or at least demos or whatever, mm-hmm. what would you take for a simple setup? What would you need for a simple setup to record? How mm. would you find people to record and make music with? And then what would you do to ma- make ends meet at the beginning <sighs> while you're doing that? I mean, obviously, this is a unique question yeah. for you. Well, I mean, so I used to only play piano and I thought man portability is a very nice thing about the guitar so I started learning guitar and it's gotten it's gotten fairly far I'm not the best guitar player by any stretch but I can certainly write and perform on it and I mean I think my best calling card is my songs and hopefully me singing them and so if I just dropped you know into a new city knew no one I would find the most crowded part of the city and just start playing. And I think the rest would work out on its own, I hope. Nice. You mean like busking or even? Just the whole thing. I would just be like, all right, well, let's do this. And, uh, you know, you'd be surprised how many people you meet, you know? That's a trip, man. That's great, dude. I like it. All right. So last question. This one's the doozy. Ready? (laughs) Yeah. What's the single most important thing that our listeners can do to become a rock star of the recording (sighs) studio themselves? Become a gearhead. Just Become kidding. a gearhead. No, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> Actually, quite the opposite. I think you should have a sound, like have an idea of what you're trying to do. Conceptually, before you start going out and doing a bunch of things, just know what you're looking for. You know, that's for me, that's been really important, like to know what the end goal is before you just kind of 
head off on this Don Quixote quest, you know, like just know what you're doing. And because if you know what you're doing, I think you, you're going to be more likely to, to get there rather than if you just go, eh, I'm going to be a producer now. You know? yeah. yeah. So you mean like as far as larger goals, like, yeah, you know, a, what's, what's this record we're doing? Or what's this record? What's, what's this What career? am I doing this year? What's this what's career? This, yeah, exactly. All that stuff. Like just sit and do some self-examination and just know what you're into because as Lidge can attest, it gets hard. Like it's not always fun. It's not always easy. And you don't want to be in the middle of it going, am I even doing the right thing right now? Yeah, <laughs> because that's that's not a fun place to be. I've I've had friends be there and they've invested a ton of money into stuff. But like you always want to know when the times are really awful that like at least you're doing what you love. So I think first and foremost, just have that in your mind that this is what I want to do. And then, you know, be it the career or the project or the, you know, whatever it may be, just have a fixed point in your head, a fixed goal and the intention because the intention is everything. That's cool, man. Yeah, man. Well, great advice, dude. Blessing, thanks so much for being thanks, on Recording Rock Studio Rockstars. It's been a lot it. of fun, man. This it's is like been a, amazing. I mean, I, we were just winging a lot of stuff. It was a nice <laughs> long interview, but felt very relaxed dude, through this whole process. I can't be unrelaxed with a guitar. <laughs> right on. Well, again, I, I hope you all enjoyed hearing Blessing on the show, and then I hope you enjoyed hearing him noodle on on some guitar and play some <laughs> play some notes and some chords for you. Bye, guys. Hey, uh, before we go, though, tell our listeners how they can find you and learn more about you. Uh, so my my real name is Blessing. My last name is Offer. It's spelled O-F-F-O-R. And I'm on all your social media. So Facebook, Blessing Offer. Instagram, Blessing Offer. Twitter, Blessing Offer. Everything is always Blessing Offer. So just uh, come say hi. Right on, man. Yeah. yeah, you got a website you want people to go to or anything like that? Everything. Blessingoffer.com slash just go social media. We'll work it out for you. All right, you. cool, cool, yeah. cool. Great, man. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, guys. Look forward to seeing you around the studio. Peace. Cheers. I said cheese. Peace. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Classic. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help reach more people. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to recordingstudiorockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. And if you want more free content, all you have to do is text RSRockstars to 33444. Again, that's RSRockstars to 33444. And I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, and podcast updates. And I'll let you know about any upcoming giveaway offers, all totally free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make great music. Music.